This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Clones, what do we want? When we want protein, when we want more energy, what we don't want are bars or sugary snacks or energy drinks. No, let's go old school with it. Let's go with the beef. Beef, pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless, disgusting. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. So it's tender and tasty. It's not rough. So what makes it so good? Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously. You can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein, and it comes in four amazing flavors that satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? There were enough salespeople floating around the office, and we love them. You know, that's how we make our money. But I said, you don't need to be here. You know what it's like to have salespeople around us. They want to chop it up and talk sports with you. And it's like, I don't want to talk about there not being sports with you. I don't want to talk about your youth league. I don't want to talk about any of it because it freaks me out that you're here in the first place. And I know I sound like a complete able right now. No. But- Hey, what's cracking, y'all? Welcome to another episode of the Jim Rome Podcast, the original side hustle, and we have another amazing ep coming right at you, episode 122 to be exact, and we'll be talking to one of the faces of the NFL Network, the voice of the Los Angeles Chargers. He was also part of the iconic Kevin and Bean show for nearly a decade. He is currently the co-host of the Petros and Money show, which is enjoying an amazing 13-year run now here in Los Angeles. Of course, I'm talking about Matt Money Smith. Matt is one of the very best in this business, and he is one of the best dudes anywhere. This is a uniquely talented individual, and this episode is absolutely a must listen. It is Ep 122 of the Jim Rome Podcast, and it's coming at you right now. Matt, it is so good to run you down. Listen, given the state of the world and how drastically everything has changed in such a short period of time, I have to start the conversation by asking you the very question you and Petros ask each other every single Monday on your radio program. I know it's midweek, Matt, but I have to know, how was your weekend? (laughs) My weekend was odd. I think like many folks, uh, I I think you and I live in similar communities where, you know, we're we're close to the beach and and you can just kind of see the amount of people that were out enjoying a a beautiful Saturday in Southern California. And I think that kind of freaked people out um, and and how many people were congregating. So much like uh, one of the all-time great clones, Silk Bra, who I had a conversation with via text this morning, um, and he asked if I went out and caught some waves because they're pretty good today, I said, 
Well, I thought about it, but as I was walking down there, freaking police were going up and down the beach yelling at people to get out of the water. So it was an odd weekend, I think is probably how I'd describe it. All right, so Matt, if you're talking about having a text exchange with Silk, I would then presume that Silk has your digits. I don't know if that's your burner phone or what, but what is he doing with your phone number and what are you doing texting back to him? Um, Silk and I have, a, you know, we, we kind of run in, we ran in parallel circles. And one night, this, I think there's a pretty good story for the clones. They'll appreciate this. Those worlds collided uh, out of all places, this weird off the beaten path karaoke bar called the Rebel Room. But when they built their sign, they didn't have enough room for all the letters. So it's called the Rebel, spelled out, and then R-M dot. They had to abbreviate the word room. Correct. And Silk was in there singing Total Eclipse of the Heart. <laughs> and my group and his group happened to merge. And uh, we just kind of exchanged. As you can see, we're both idiots. And we've, uh, we exchanged numbers that night. And we've been in contact ever since. Great. World's colliding. All right, Matt. So you mentioned the authorities running up and down the beach like, get the hell out of here. Get the hell out of here. Petros mentioned on the air the other day that you were walking around the station asking people, why are you here? Can't you do this from your home? Is that true? And were you kicking people out of the building? Um, I hate to say it, but yeah, <laughs> it's, it's kind of true. We were... Look, you know, I, I guess I'm maybe overreacting to this stuff a little bit, and I have been for a while. I kind of like to follow international news, and I was sort of at this time when this was all going on, it was kind of when Italy was really starting to, to feel it and, and take a turn for the worse. And we were told that, you know, hey, if you continue to come in, uh, they said it was essential personnel only. So on the air, we had a fun little uh, acronym for it. We're like, hey, we're EPOS. You know, uh, use get out of here because it's time for the EPOS to run the show. We sure. don't want anybody else around here. So we gave those people uh, the tag of NEEPS, not essential personnel. And there were enough salespeople floating around the office, and we love them. You know, that's how we make our money is advertising. But I said, do it. You don't need to be here. The only reason you're here is because you don't want to be at home. And that's not the point of all of this. It's to limit the amount of people in the office congregating. And you know what it's like to have salespeople around an office of a sports radio station. They want to chop it up and talk sports with you. And it's like, I don't want to talk about there not being sports with you. I don't want to talk about your youth league. I don't want to talk about any of it because it freaks me out that you're here in the first place. And I know I sound like a complete a-hole right now. No. But um, no. it was it – was, Right. It was like half kidding, but at the same time, and I think that it came to a head when I walked up and out of the stairs and we had shrunk the salespeople that were coming in. Normally there's maybe 20 people there. It was down to like five. And then we lost when it got to four. And when I walked out the door toward my office, there were, it was up to five or six. And one guy who hadn't been there all week was like, Hey Matt, what's going on? And I just screamed, why are you here? Why are you here? And I think that was when it all came to Because I'm head. here to get your take on the Lakers. Better yet, I'm not here to get your take on the Lakers. I'm here to give you my take on the Lakers. You know, Matt, it's been so long. I've been in a standalone building for so long that I'm not with corporate, so I haven't had to see that for so long that I forgot. But I remember when I first started, when somebody started in on me about, man, how about those time pigs, assholes, time pigs, time pigs? I'm like, who are the time pigs? The salespeople, man, the salespeople. <laughs> Fucking time pigs. I'm like, yeah, but we need those pigs, right? We need them. But you're right. I we mean, need them. Yeah, we need them desperately, right? We do, but they're not needed at this time, right? And if you're not needed, you have to go home. Well, I think it also it'll also chap your ass when you walk down to the the parking garage and, and the cars see. are much nicer. Exactly, they're rolling in a hundred thousand dollar cars, and you're like, wait a minute, 
the hell, I'm the guy doing four hours a day in a week when there's no sports, and, it, when, and, and I'm happy to do it. I mean, you know what the show sounds like. We're a lot like you, where we don't need sports. We can talk whatever the hell we want for four hours and have a good time doing it. But at the same time, why is your car ten times nicer than mine? I, I, don't, I don't need to see that right now when I'm forced to come in every single day. Or not forced, but they prefer I come in every day. You don't need to be here. Get your stinking Bentley out of my freaking work parking garage because all you're doing is infuriating me even more. Dude, we learned this early on, didn't we? You and I figured this out early on. I mean, we can say what we want about the so-called time pigs. They had the nice cars, man. They had it going on. And we know. We know this. But let me ask you, so you mentioned the clones, Matt. You were so great about that. Back in the day, you and Petros would co-host The Jungle for me, which I always appreciated. Now, I also know this. It's not the easiest fill-in gig. And it's not because I'm so unique, but it's because the nature of the audience. But the clones loved you guys. What was that experience like for you and did you like them as much as they liked you and if not you can say so right well i mean for me you know i was a clone so i mean i i you know when i got to southern california in 1991 you know to start college from chicago you know i i eventually managed to stumble upon your show didn't have a great radio signal in malibu but once i was able to move in toward the city you know a half decade later you know i was turned on to your show and and became, you know, obviously a, a big fan and for lack of a better term, a freaking clone. So it was it was easy for me to to be excited about the opportunity, to be a little freaked out um by the opportunity. Um but you know, your staff was great. I mean from Alvin and Jason and, and all the people that were around the show, they do everything they can to make you feel comfortable and you know, they don't try to, they, they didn't try to make us do something that, that we weren't going to be comfortable doing. It's almost like that cliche of, you know, the football head coach, like, Hey, if you're anything but yourself, they're going to see right through it. And I think the one thing that we did when we, when we filled in is we didn't try to be you there. No one, no one can do what you do. Um, so we just decided, all right, we're going to do our show and hopefully people will be all right with it. There's a reason why Jim asked us to fill in in the first place, because maybe he likes listening to our show. So We'll just do that show because we got a better chance of being successful doing that than anything else. And we ended up having like a few fun staples that people liked. I mean, we used to do the old uh, Prodigy song, Firestarter. We'd do a stupid little skit on that. We'd always make fun of this one guy who called in and was super pissed from the bill and made fun of him calling it the bill. And it just, I think that was sort of the tone of the show it was the irreverent nature of the Petros and Money show. And I don't know what I'm sure it was. There were enough clones that didn't like it, but um, hopefully, you know, for those three hours, uh, it, it helped them forget that their favorite radio host wasn't around and they were still somewhat entertained. Matt, you guys do a great show. You guys do a great show. You've always done a great show, and you did for me, and I'm forever grateful, and the clones did love you. Now, you've had one of the most fascinating careers I have ever seen in our business, and, I mean, you're living the dream. You're murdering it as a talk show host, a play-by-play man, a studio host. But for those outside the area that may not know, you did start pre-law at Pepperdine. How the hell did you end up here? So um, it's kind of a clash of, of, I think, you know, and I don't want to kind of do too much self-congratulation here, but, you know, congratulations here. But it was it was hard work and it was luck. Um, when I was at Pepperdine, I happened to, you know, I had to work in the admissions office to fulfill financial aid requirements. Um, and I was working all over the place. I was a valet at Chart House. And I was actually for a second, I was a security guard at Bob Dylan's house shack. That was like a fraternity job that we had. Wow. Um, and you meet different people along the way. And so I ended up meeting this, this girl named Katie, whose boyfriend 
was working at Polygram, which was a giant label at the time. It was kind of an umbrella music label for A&M and Mercury and Island. And um, she said, hey, you work at the local, at the at the KMBU, which was Pepperdine's radio station. Would you be interested in an internship? Because they're looking for help. So that was it. It was that suggestion. I started driving to, uh, to Wilshire and the 405 and those three high rises there uh, twice a week to work for a, a woman by the name of Vicki Levin. And she was the, the head of, of pop promotion. And that then led to her saying, hey, the, the folks over at K-Rock are looking to hire a phone screener. and You'd make six bucks an hour to, to work for Kevin and Bean, if you've ever heard of them. I interviewed for that job. Um, I landed that job. That was all, I think, in my junior year at Pepperdine. I was still going to school. I was still working the valet at Chart House. I was waking up at 3 a.m. to go to Kevin and Bean you know, by five in the morning. Um, and then that led, actually, Mercury tried to hire me to be a record, you know, uh, promotions guy before I even graduated. And I would have left Pepperdine like two months early and my parents were like, absolutely not. Um, get your degree kind of thing. So I ended up staying. And and once I graduated, I, uh, I started working in the music business and kind of law got put off. You know, the brother's a lawyer and he's in politics and he was just like, it's miserable. You don't want to do this crap. You know, if you can chase that thing down, chase it. So he gave me some advice there and, and I ended up working out. And uh, I found myself with kind of a career in, in the music business as opposed to sports. Um, and and I guess I can pause there because God knows it's taken so many different turns. And, and I'm sure the next question is, okay, so you're doing music. Well, how the hell do you get into sports, right? You know, I was going to say that, Matt, and I could say that, and I should say that, but I was going to ask you about something else, though, because, I mean, the whole thing is just so amazing to me. I know the story, and I'm still amazed by it. But Kevin and Bean, like, as an example, Matt, when I was in Santa Barbara, and all I cared about was getting to a major market. And I really didn't even care what the capacity was. I just had to get to a major market. To me, that was the barometer. And I remember I just kept hammering 690 AM like every single week. Letters and phone calls. And if somebody didn't respond, I'd find somebody else. That was the only thing in my life that mattered was getting to that radio station. So I will never forget the phone call that I received from the news director slash PD who was informing me that, come on down. You got the job. I mean, actually, what he said to me was, hey, son, Welcome to the big leagues. Come to San Diego. And I just got chills. I'm curious. The Kevin and Bean phone call. Who made the call to you and where were you? That is, oh man, that is an unbelievable question. Uh, I'm going to try to stay as quietly as possible because in self-quarantine, I've got a daughter home from college, another high schooler home from high school, and a seventh grader that hopefully will not hear my booming voice carry. I was in, uh, I interviewed for the big, and I was in, Las Vegas at the time and get away from the door. <laughs> I see my daughter get into the other room. Uh, nice. I was in Las Vegas at a time for a series of Grateful Dead shows at the Silver Bowl. And if you know what goes on at Grateful Dead shows, you can kind of imagine the headspace that I was in and perhaps what was coursing through my body at the time. L. But, um, yeah, uh, some, all of it. Whatever, whatever you think, just just add and multiply, and that's the answer. I see and uh, the the call comes, and I, you know, I, I can't even. It's so weird because I feel like I didn't even have a cell phone at the time. I'm trying to figure out how somehow I got this call at my friend Mark Sturban's house in Las Vegas. But I ended up talking to Frank Murphy, who was the of the oh. We were getting ready to go to the show. We had pre-partied, you know, before we were going to the parking lot to go into the dead show that night at Mark's house. And I can remember being like, you know, half sort of recognizing what the moment was and trying to sound 
um, as, as competent as possible uh, while accepting the job and being excited about the job at the same time while being terrified that I was going to get fired before I even had a chance to right. do the first day. Um, but yeah, I'll never forget where I was when I got the call. And it was just a stupid entry-level phone screener job, but I knew that was my foot into K-Rock and that once I got in there, I was going to do everything I possibly could to, to work my way up the ladder inside, like you said, that radio station that meant so much to so many people in Southern California at that time. I mean, everything to everybody. So, Matt, how does Jimmy Kimmel fit into all of this, and what has he meant to you personally and professionally? Oh, a ton. Um, so when I got hired to Kevin and Bean, Jimmy was the sports guy. Um, Jimmy was basically, look, Jimmy was doing his own morning show around, for people that don't know, but but had already bounced around the country quite a bit. He had already been uh, in Tucson. He had already been in Seattle. He was in Palm Springs actually doing a morning show with Carson Daly, of all people. Huh. They were just doing mornings in freaking Market 180 or whatever Palm Springs is. Um, and he gets hired by Kevin Weatherly to do Kevin and Bean um, without Kevin and Bean even knowing. <laughs> so, like, he shows up for his first day, and Bean's like, who the hell are you, and what do you want? Um, so Jimmy was the sports guy when I got hired. He'd probably been there for about a year, year and a half, but he was he was kind of more, he was, look, he wasn't just the sports guy, right? That was his vehicle to put him on the air, but he was also doing voices, writing comedy, coming up with bits. Um, and, and really acting as somewhat of a content producer for the show. So when I show up, um, he and I just hit it off because he liked sports and, and, I, and I was into sports. You know, I wasn't really doing any sports radio or anything like that. But um, and his cousin Sal would show up from time to time. So he and I off the air would be talking about a bunch of different stuff. Um, and Jimmy's just one of the kindest people you'll ever meet. Um, and it's, it's why even with all of this great success he has, you know, I, I still have chance you know, chances to hang out with him. And he still reaches out and still keeps that circle very tight with the same group of idiots that he's always been around, be they family or friends, the same people that were going to his crappy house in Woodland Hills uh, on the wrong side of the boulevard for Sunday football and just hanging out and drinking and having a good time are pretty much the same people that go to his whatever it is, $20 million house uh, for Sunday football, you know, 25 years later. Um, and he just, he, he gave me some great advice and he gave me an opportunity. He started using me, recognized, Hey, this guy's got a really cool voice. Let's use it. Um, so they started using me as different characters, deadpan man. And I would do play by play as stupid stuff that, and bits that he would want to put on the air. Um, and he, and he told me, he said, look, here's the great thing about K rock is people, you know, th- this is the center of the entertainment world is Los Angeles. So anytime you get a chance, to get on the air, understand that there are people listening that make decisions about who gets to do what in that business. And, and this is one of the morning shows that they're listening to. Not all of them, but some of them. And all it takes is one person to hear you do something and say, who's that? And I'd like to hire him or her. And, and I always just kind of kept that as sort of, you know, something that, that fueled me every day is, yeah, you're doing this for Kevin and Bean and for this monster radio station, K-Rock, but you're also doing it for the tens of thousands of people that are driving around Los Angeles listening right now uh, and the jobs that they may have waiting because they're trying to find inspiration for whatever role they're, they're going to fill. So when Jimmy left to do the man show and left Kevin and Bean, um, they had a hole as their sports guy. And uh, I ended up getting that job about six months later while I was already kind of tracking a parallel career in the music business. And thankfully, Kevin and Bean allowed me to do it while still working at DreamWorks, and DreamWorks allowed me to do it 
um, while still being their head of alternative promotion. Let me tell you something. That is like that is the most amazing advice because the fact of the matter is, and I heard that early on in my career too, not put exactly like that, but you never know who's listening. You never know who's listening. That is an amazing piece of advice. So you've got this parallel course, Matt, and like impressive enough to do sports in a major market on a major station like that, but you were also the music director of K-Rock. At, at that same time. So it's unheard of to do it in a major market and do both those things. I mean, to put that in perspective, when I started in market 174 in Santa Barbara, there was no way, even in a tiny market like that, I could have ever pulled something like that off. But you were doing it in market number two. Not a question, but an observation. You had to be a really talented motherfucker to pull that off, Roham. I mean, I've never, <laughs> well. ever seen anything like that, sincerely. So, okay, sports then. Sports picked you or you picked sports? A little bit of both. A um, little bit of both because so when I'm working at DreamWorks and, and for, you know, people that don't really, I guess, you know, people that listen to you, they love music. So they'll appreciate DreamWorks was being run not just by David Geffen, but by the two guys that built Warner Brothers, Mo Austin and Lenny Warnaker. And I mean, to put that in perspective, Mo is the guy that found Prince and Madonna and Paul Simon and was handpicked by Frank Sinatra. Yeah, to yeah, 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 yeah. But Matt, sorry to interrupt, sorry to interrupt, but you found Sublime. Well, I, my friend Joe Dugan passed Sublime on to me, which I put on K-Rock. Okay. So I want to make sure Joe gets the proper credit here because he's the one that flipped me 40 ounces of freedom and said, hey, check this out. I think this might work. Um, so Mo and Lenny are running DreamWorks. And, and Lenny, by the way, is one of the guys that produced Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. So kind of put that in perspective. That's the company I'm working for. Well, it went under. DreamWorks ended up selling to Interscope. Um, and I had the option to take a cash payout and not go to Interscope when DreamWorks was sold to them. And, and thankfully, the folks over at Interscope, um, Jimmy, I, Bean, and Brenda, you know, were like, okay, fine. If you want out, you can, you can be out. We're good with that. So that's when I went to be the music director at K-Rock. But yeah, when, and this kinda, I think this is a good lesson for people who probably listen to you, Jim, to learn is, is that, you know, when, when Sublime got on K-Rock, um, it was my buddy Zeke. And, and I, who were 20, 21-year-olds, that they wanted to work in the music department as well. I wasn't the MD yet, but they were just like, hey, when we do a music meeting, we want you guys in there. You're, you're our target audience. So it's better for you than for us 30-somethings or 40-somethings to be picking music. Bring whatever you have in. Uh, and he and I agreed, you know, like, hey, what of, of all the great songs on this record, what should we take in? And, you know, it's anybody that has that record knows you could go five, six different ways. Uh, and we decided to go date rape and, you know, the rest is kind of history, you know, but it, 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 there's so many moving parts in that besides just, you know, us walking that thing in. It's Kevin Weatherly who ran the station deciding to put it on and, and, and it just kind of took off from there. And there's so many fascinating details this entire journey. You know, like, and Matt, I hate to go boomer on everybody's ass, but you tell me, what is the best era for alternative rock? Like, I hate to be this guy, but I'd be really hard-pressed to say what I'm hearing today can in any way compare to the stuff that I came up with when I was in college radio in the mid-'80s or when I got my big break at 690 AM and 91X was in the same building right down the hall. I'm not saying there's not good stuff today. There is. But to me, it just doesn't sound anywhere near as good as it did back then. Where do you come out? Am I just going boomer on everybody, or is there an argument to be made? No, I think you're. I think you're right on both ends. Right, the earlier you do it, the easier it is to be, you know, not repetitive, and then you're kind of blazing your own trail. Whereas you feel like, you know, now maybe it's just sort of repurposed, and you hear a lot of the elements from what you felt was the original sort of style of music, or you know, that that's just sort of maybe it's either upgraded or it's 
like I said, repurposed or, or reintroduced, and it just doesn't feel the same. But but I have always kind of contended whenever we get into these, you know, sort of historical context music discussions that time and place is so important. You know, for me, growing up in Chicago, you know, hardcore was really important to me because that's the music that I really fell in love with. And, and it was, you know, local bands like Thin White Rope and Naked Ray Gun and when you know, Fugazi came to town and, and then I got into industrial because that was a big Chicago thing and, and ministry and, and all the wax tracks records, revolting cocks and front two four two because I it was just self discovery, right? So I think that's that's such an important part I think of the way we connect to music and what we wanna say is is the greatest music. So you know, I, I think a lot of, and that's kind of the Grateful Dead for me as well, right? It was this journey that I would go on with all of my friends that would last days, you know, at these live shows. And you felt like there was really this sort of journey of self-discovery over the course of those three days, even though you were so mature, you didn't even know what the hell that meant. But when you hear that music, it sort of takes you back to, to maybe some of those moments. And, and you, you sort of hold those, I think, as special. Um, and you don't get that, right, when you hear oh, this is the new Vampire Weekend release, and it's really good, but I'm now in my 40s, and, you know, it, it hits me differently. So I think that's why, for the most part, people will always defend the music of their youth. Um, because it was, you know, and I think for a lot of us, right, it was sort of a, a bit of a rebellion, you know, and when your old man is listening to Johnny Mathis in, in John Denver, you know, and you're pounding out bad brains, then, you know, it, it's just you feel a lot better about yourself. Dude, anybody listening right now who thinks that you just nailed that take or you were on that take or not giving you enough credit, I mean, that that is so true. That's exactly it. Like, if I think of a band right now, coincidentally a Chicago band, Rise Against. I love Rise Against. I've loved them for a number of years. But you know what? I don't have that same connection to that band that I did The Replacements or R.E.M. or even The Violent Femmes or The Cure or The Smiths. And it's because it's the era. It's the time. It's those formative years when you are so connected with it and it's so much more important than when you are in your 40s and you're running some kind of different track. I really think you're right. It's not the music per se. It's the connection. It's the time. Yeah, and Rise Against, again, it's a great band. Um, and, you know, and, and, and it's a Chicago band, like you said. And, and if you talk to the, and, well, you know, again, here I am going to kind of do this, and I don't mean to, but, you know, we signed Rise Against at DreamWorks. I was in a room when they were deciding between us and MCA who they were going to sign with. It was the last band that DreamWorks actually ever signed, so I never got to work the record. But I think one of the reasons why, you know, we we ended up signing them. My friend, Ron Handler, uh, who was the A&R guy who signed, you know, a bunch of big bands, Power Man 5000, Papa Roach, you know, not, you know, not historically important bands, but big hits that they, they broke, but he signed Rise Against. And, and I think one of the reasons was, was a conversation that, that we had when we were sitting in that room and I brought up Naked Ray Gun and their eyes got as wide as saucers. And we're like, Oh my God, we grew up on Naked Ray Gun. And it's like, Oh yeah. I mean, I used to go see, Pizzotti and those guys every single month and they're like what you, you got to go to those shows at Riv that were once a month I say oh yeah dude free shit you know throwing laser guns out and, and slingshots and, and getting in pits where I get my head caved in and that's why I got a chipped tooth you know because of those shows and like it just blew them away because they have that same connection right so I think that's what's kind of cool about sort of the lineage and and how rise against it's okay there's nothing wrong with saying hey I'm into that band even though they're a derivative of, you know, one of the original important Chicago hardcore bands. And by the way, if you ever watch that Dave Grohl doc, if you've never heard of that band, those people that are listening, you know, he specifically cites Naked Raygun at the Cubby Bear as one of those important moments uh, in, in his musical journey that, that, that he was, I think he was with like an, a cousin. It was a female cousin, and she's like, yeah, we're going to see Naked Raygun at the Cubby Bear. And that was that moment for him. 
Um, and that was kind of the moment for me when I truly fell in love with music the first time I saw Ray Gunn at the Cabaret Metro in Chicago, and, and it will stay with me forever. Money, it's so funny. It's like when athletes talk to entertainers, they want to talk about entertainment. Entertainers want to talk about sports. You come on here, and I want to talk music. So last thing, quick follow-up, and I know you have to go, but that's a great Rise Against story, the fact that you had something to do with the label signing them. My Rise Against story, not quite as good, because I love these guys, and I want to see them so badly. They come to the L- BC and Bad Religion is opening for them, and I'm friends with Greg Hetson, who, incredibly enough, was a clone from back in the day when I was broadcasting from high atop Hot Dog on a Stick. This guy presses up against the glass. He's like, yo, Rome, I heard what you said about the LA Kings. I'm Greg Hetson, and I'm in the Bad Bad Religion. I'm like, yeah, right, bro, and I'm uh, Elvis Presley. You get the fuck out of here. He's like, no, really, I'm in the band. I'm like... Okay, and and I didn't believe him. So we developed this friendship. They're opening up for Rise Against. He invites me backstage. They present me with a bottle of Sapphire. I'm up on the stage for their entire set, feeling like I'm the man. Rise Against comes out, and security's like, get the fuck out of here, man. Who do you think you are? Gone, man, just like that. Very humbling, Matt, very humbling. So your story is better, but the reason I bring that up is not to, well, to give you credit, of course. There's a gin aspect. My man, are you still a gin man? We have not touched base on this topic in a long time. I am, um, but I have since, to some degree, shifted a little bit more to the bourbon side. Okay. Um, but if, if you were to come to my home, I, I will have no less than, than two bottles of, of Sapphire. I'll have a bottle of Hendrix. i got a little bit of small batch gin right now. Um, but I think for me, I stopped I don't know. I just kind of stopped mixing my booze. I guess I got too old and lazy, and I just poured it over ice. And, you know, gin is, is better when you can, you know, put a little something in there and take some time and make a cocktail, whereas bourbon, I can just throw a couple cubes of ice in a glass, dump it on there, and start sipping. But I still, and I always appreciate that about you. You're one of the reasons, you know, that I got into that particular spirit is that uh, you and I would have those conversations. And, and again, you know, I, I do have to, you know, say thanks to you because you're the first person outside of Billy Mack on the old Carl's Jr. Fox Sports Roundtable that put me on TV. And, you you know, you put me on Rome's Burning, and that really was my first exposure, I think, to a lot of people in sports on television. And I know for a fact it's one of the reasons why NFL Network came and got me when they watched the fantasy show. So this career I have in television is due uh, in very large part uh, to you being willing to put me on, you know, that television show back in the day, and I can't thank you enough for that. Man, I appreciate you saying that. I don't know that that's true. I've always thought you were really an extraordinary talent, and I still do. And I'm, I'm really proud of you. I think you are having an amazing life and an amazing career. And, you know, if you really want to thank me, you could teach me about bourbon because I'm starting to move away from gin myself. I mean, all these things, time and place. I've been looking for the next thing. I haven't found it yet. So the next time you and I talk, I'm going to cut you loose because you still are the busiest man in the business. You can give me, you can repay that with a lesson on bourbon. Done and done. Once we get through this social distancing stuff, let's uh, let's make sure we connect and uh, and we'll we'll go through a few bottles and kind of talk about. Not to get too stupid with it, but uh, we'll have a good time. Let's put it that way. Can't wait. I would love that, Matt. Appreciate you so much. I'm proud of you. I appreciate you. Thanks so much for doing that. No, I can't thank you enough, Jim. It's meant the world to me to have the uh, the relationship, and I really appreciate you putting me on. Hey, listen. Do you have American Home Shield? If you're a homeowner, you should. Because when you own a home, you know that it will happen. I'm talking about it. It being your heat going out, your refrigerator dying, plumbing issues. It can be a mess that few of us have the skills or extra cash on hand to take on. 
That's where American Home Shield comes in. They help cover the costs to take care of it. And if they can't fix it, they will replace it or find another solution for it. To see everything they cover and to save 50 bucks today, go to ahs.com slash Rome. That's ahs.com slash Rome. And if American Home Shield cannot repair the covered item, they will replace it or offer an alternative solution. And as the nation's largest provider, they have paid more in home warranty claims than any other company. It's added up to more than $2 billion, billion with a B, in the last five years alone. America's most preferred home warranty has more than 1.8 million customers, and there's a good reason for that. Go to ahs.com slash Rome and save 50 bucks and start protecting your home and budget from inevitable breakdowns. ahs.com slash Rome. That's ahs.com slash Rome for 50 bucks off any plan. American Home Shield. Be sure with the shield. Limitations and exclusions apply. See plan for details. Again, I can't stress it enough. One of the best dudes just guested on one of the best episodes we've had to date. Enormous thanks to Matt Money Smith for all the time, especially given how insane his schedule is. That was an awesome conversation and a really, really good look back on a fascinating radio and TV career that is far from over. If you want to find Matt on Twitter, let him know what you thought of the pod. Go right ahead and do it. He's at Matt Money Smith. It's spelled exactly how it sounds, so make sure you do that. Also, make sure you get down. Down and you get subscribed. I'm going to keep hammering that because it's so easy, it's so smart, and most of all, it is so free. Every new episode then dings your listening device automatically every single Wednesday. It is the biggest no-brainer ever. Speaking of no-brains, let me push play on my answering machine and get the hell up out of here. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay smart, stay indoors. We are all in this together and we're all going to get out of this together. Love and respect and health to everybody listening. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of the time that you're spending right now and I will see you all next week. First new message. Rim Jones, Rogan Loam, Ben out of Buffalo over here. No sports to watch so I'm watching my fucking robot vacuum cleaner battle it out with a pair of shoes I left in the middle of the living room. Guess what? Shoes zero, vacuum five so far. Get you an update later. Message saved. Next message. Jim, thanks for the line. Daryl from Bristol, Tennessee, long-time listener. Listen, I'm a 20-year disabled coal miner. This is a follow-up to the beef segment a couple weeks ago concerning service dogs. Recently, I'm in a parking lot, parking in the handicapped section. A guy walks by and says, hey, why are you parking there? You don't look sick. I respond, hey, I only have one lung and I'm bolted together from the waist down. How's your day going, genius? Obviously, the conversation was over. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Rome, what's up? This is David from Buffalo. Heard your rant earlier about the Knicks and how Stan Van Gundy turned him down and basically told them to never, ever call him. That Knicks franchise is so dysfunctional. They make the Buffalo Sabres look like a team that could win a championship right now. I'm out. Message deleted. Next message. Ben Smack, this is Liam in NorCal. Hey, man, just appreciate you being on the air in these crazy times, man. Especially now that Space Jam is on Netflix, I'm sure you're just rolling in the dough with all those royalty checks, my brother. So appreciate you. Thanks for everything you do. Message saved. Next message. Romy, long-time fan. The public service announcement you gave about the stupid millennials down in Florida 
on spring break should be run every day on your show until one of their parents happened to get told about it or hear it. That was awesome. God bless you, Romy. God bless the jungle war. Jim Rome public service announcements in the time of need. Out. Message saved. Next message. Romy. Pete from Phoenix, long-time listener. I'm in sales, so you make my day so much better while I'm in the car. So thank you. Catching up on all the podcasts in this time of quarantine, they are awesome. Hey, whatever happened to Jeff on a car phone in Phoenix? Message saved. Next message. Hi, Jim. It's Bella B. in Calgary. I have an idea. Why don't you call me on my voicemail? Message deleted. You have no more messages.